Welcome to the White Knuckle Racing Club podcast. I'm your host, Brent van der Skeef, and you might have guessed it by now, but this is going to be a podcast all about the world of motorsport. But we'll be chatting to some team principals, engineers, drivers, cooks and cleaners, funders, and anyone involved in this kindred traveling circus that is motorsport. Okay, so cheesy intro starting in three, two, one. <laughs> Welcome to episode 006 of the White Knuckle Racing Club podcast. As you know, I'm Brent, and uh, tonight we've got a very, very special guest, who, someone who I've wanted to speak to for a very long time, ever since there was a post shared by Misha around uh, you leaving Remat, and that's the pronunciation correct there, right? Yeah. And then and then going over to Mantai Racing and then pursuing this this crazy dream. And I've just wanted to get this guy on the line and um and have a chat with him. Without further ado, I guess uh, you need to introduce yourself. Yeah, thanks, Brent, for inviting me. I'm honored and kind words. <laughs> uh, my name is Gerard or Gerard Fosler. Uh, as I'm speaking to South Africans, I can pronounce it in the, the proper Afrikaans way. <laughs> Uh, usually it's always a bit difficult to to pronounce these things in Germany or, or Croatia, but anyway, uh, yeah, that's it. Do you already want to go into some of the, the things I got up to or? No, I think, uh, I think uh, first and foremost, names are out the way, uh, um, which is always good. And I think starting, starting off this type of conversation is, uh, you know, you've, you've made the, the, the jump um, out of a South African frame of, whatever it might be, um, industry. Um, and you followed a, a lineage of engineers that have left South Africa to pursue, uh, you know, an occupation, motoring and motorsports at a very high level. You know, names that come to mind, are the two biggest names, obviously Gordon Murray and Rory Byrne, who have achieved great things. And, you know, there's no pressure whatsoever, Gerard. Uh, <laughs> but it's so great to see, um, you know, someone, you know, in the modern context doing this type of thing. And, you know, I, wa- I wanted to try and extract the the stories and, you know, how you got to where you are today and, and what made you do these the, this big jump. So I think before we even get in there, like, let's just actually talk about, like, you know, like, how, like, what is it like? I mean, like, you grew up in, in Pretoria, right? What is it like as a child? Uh, take us, take us through those steps. What is who who was Gerard the 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 lighty running around dismantling what I think to be like atom bombs or or motorbikes at like six years old? I I wish, but not quite. Uh, I feel like I pretty average uh, upbringing uh, or average for some, depending on your perspective. So yeah, like average Afrikaner type um, household. Always watched Formula One and motorsport like every Sunday. Uh, with my parents uh, or my dad mostly Um, and then yeah I studied in Pretoria Uh, I did mechanical engineering I didn't really think much of it Uh, it was just kind of automatic Um, I liked cars my dad did something related to engineering my brother did mechanical engineering and I thought ah, it's kind of obvious choice let's go with it I can make some money off of it and maybe I can end up going into Formula One I mean it's it's almost like it's more of a dream than a goal at that point because you already kind of know that it's highly unlikely uh, or at least at, from that point in, at that point in time that was kind of more the perspective is like yeah I'll try uh, even though it I feel like it's already out of reach um, in a way um, so but anyway so we started off with mechanical engineering I uh, studied four years at the University of Pretoria um, and then after getting my bachelor's degree I'm like okay uh, now what? And then I realized, like, okay, uh, I kind of like 
automotive uh, motorsport like i still have this passion for it um so kind of i remember talking to my brother and he's like don't do your master's degree like uh don't continue your studies like in south africa it, there's no need you're not going to get paid more or anything and yeah i was close to just kind of finding some job in a normal engineering uh, company i mean in south africa there's not really automotive uh, jobs except for uh, like assembly lines and these kinds of things uh, so that wasn't kind of attractive to me so i was looking into consulting and things like it's a bit more attractive to me but in the end like nothing really resonated with me and yeah then i decided to continue with my master's degree um, specializing in, in automotive engineering let's say um, and yeah i guess that was kind of the the stepping stone to at least uh, get me like one foot in the door uh, but yeah coming from south africa that's still a very very small <laughs> step in the door foot in the door mm -hmm. and yeah from there uh i managed to to get into two remotes i would say i got pretty lucky uh, depending on how you look at it <laughs> um i applied at uh, like all the formula one companies so i think the the most important thing is uh to to note is i i don't have like a european passport or anything like that um, so that makes it plays a huge uh, role in your possibility to maybe make it or go overseas mm -hmm. um, because I you do multiple ap applying to like hundred companies and in the end like I uh, yeah just did some research looking at uh, Top Gear and or any small company I could find like Czech companies and uh, small startups because I felt like okay maybe there's an opportunity there and yeah lo and behold. Uh, Rimats kind of was was this opportunity. Uh, so back when I joined in 2019, like right at the start, the company was was still very small. Um, it was just I think a few months or maybe a year after Hammond crashed, uh, the uh, Concept One uh, that was quite kind of famous crash I would say because it went up yeah. in flames quite spectacularly. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how I got to know them, and yeah, it seemed like they were doing some some interesting stuff. Couldn't get into motorsports. Uh, I be the first to say that that was kind of the main goal at yeah. the start and yeah i would say in a way also happy that i didn't get into motorsport and like i i learned quite a lot in the say roles i was in in rimats or bugatti rimats as they are now called mm -hmm. and yeah so far so good sorry been speaking a lot so you're <laughs> up <laughs> so just just quickly if we go back you did your undergrad what did you do post uh, as a as a postgrad uh, so it's technically still called mechanical engineering, uh, mm -hmm. but you like choose your own thesis. And yeah, I was uh, say fortunate enough to to have like a professor at my school, uh, which has he's quite passionate about these things, and he has some contacts with other universities. Um, so they mainly specialize more on on off road uh, vehicles and stuff. But I mean, the same stuff applies often. Um, so yeah, most of the stuff you can do there. Uh, so is this in Europe, eh? Was this in Europe? Uh, the master's degree, no, still in University of Pretoria, South oh, Africa. Okay, okay, and then you just had the context that 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 set you up with with uh, with the European gig, or were you were you at that point already looking for jobs on motorsport jobs online or wherever? No, as soon as I was basically finishing up my master's degree, I started just like uh, hunting for everything I could find. Um, yeah. He also has some some contacts, but. Uh, yeah, of course, it's much more uh, focused on the work they do, uh, mm. which is, yeah, nothing related to motorsports, more like mining vehicles and these kind of things, which is also applicable to 
uh, things in South Africa. Yeah, I, yeah, I understand. I think from an engineering perspective, what you mentioned around um, the limitations or you know what you can do, there's a lot of interesting jobs out there from a robotics perspective. I mean, if if I can refer back to like tours through tire manufacturers and even vehicle manufacturers in South Africa, there's a lot, but it's not. It does tickle a certain degree of the of the passion, but it does. It's not going to fulfill that if you're chasing that bigger dream i.e. motorsport, there's there's not much in South Africa that could actually service you. And that you yeah, have it's mostly about the, the research and development. So that part is, yeah. is say, for me, the missing part. So you you can still be a driver um, yeah. and, and still run a team or all these kind of things. But in terms of really like researching and developing a car, um, that, that's, yeah. that's not really done in South Africa. It's more about like applying um, certain skills. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. Um, so the, the gig at Arimats, how did that come about? They, they responded to you. You obviously got an email in your inbox, <laughs> and uh, and and with the subject line um, that that triggered a, um, a euphoric response. I'm guessing that set you on. And how did it go? Like you saw this position that was open. They were on this aggressive um, recruitment drive, I believe. Yeah. Um, and now they've now there's about 700 um, people employed. Um, there over the past 10 years it's been insane to watch them grow from an e30 <laughs> uh, bmw which is probably one of the most famous uh, evs og evs call it that uh, <laughs> um that's turned into a proper oem um that's that has all these b2b relationships with all the big guys at the moment and now makes its own car and yeah, it's 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 something that you've obviously stepped into. So how did that how did that come about? How did you get that gig? And you know, what were the steps? What happened? Yeah, I mean, twenty at the start of twenty nineteen, it was a completely different environment. They were the company was was basically just doing feasibility for a bunch of companies. And yeah, sure, they unveiled the Navera at uh, uh, what's the show called in in. Switzerland, Geneva Motor Show, yeah, yeah. Um, but the car was was very not those still in the early stages of development, and they were still kind of had to prove themselves. So, um, yeah, and also they're based in Croatia, and for say the viewers that don't know Croatia very well, I I, I was also there. <laughs> I remember uh, like I applied to the company not knowing anything about Croatia. I just remember they they played played pretty well in the uh, World Cup of the football i think in 2014 yeah. i think they played in the finals or something i hope there's not many croatians listening because they'll get angry <laughs> at me but that, that's kind of the the first uh say my my first point of contact with croatia and then mm. i applied to the company not really caring about where the company was it's more about what the company does and yeah then i got I got the interview uh and they gave me some uh like task where i had to like do the presentation and yeah that went well in general i got a bit of a fright um my first uh, my my boss at the time interviewed me and he had like he has quite a thick like croatian accent uh, and I, I thought i got, almost got a bit scared because as you grow up uh, it's always the russians that's kind of labeled as the bad guy so he had a bit kind of a, of this vibe but anyway so did did that and yeah, I did the task. I remember like working throughout the night to just make sure everything is like perfect. Uh, send it through, and like a week later, they said like, "Ah, oh, yeah, you here's an offer." And I remember like looking at the screen for a, for a few seconds, and then I just stood up and jumped <laughs> <laughs> and screamed. And that was 
pretty pretty much it. Um, but uh, then when I got there, I realized that actually like the company is was still in such a like a small stage or a startup phase that mm. say the edu not educated people but like uh, the talent coming in from from Germany and Austria and uh, the UK they were didn't want to come to Croatia usually it's only like the the crazy kids like me and some other colleagues I had back then that really took the leap into like this startup thing because uh, there's so many other opportunities out there for these guys so why why take the risk to go to this like country small little country that's almost like a or I would say I guess second world country um, that has hasn't proved themselves yet so in terms of that that's basically the only reason I think I, I made it in is because the other people didn't see say what I what I saw <laughs> um, yeah. and they 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 looked more at Croatia uh, and now things are different and I think it's quite a great country and uh, yeah it's been good so far. <laughs> Well, if if any if anyone's actually changed the whole perception of the whole environment from what I've seen, I mean, it's been Mate, and it's yeah. been the way that he's he's created this brand and this this amazing product, yeah, not for just sure. the brand itself, you know. And you know, that's why I'm interested in also understanding, you know, what the corporate the corporate life is like there, because as a startup, you're quick and you're agile and 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 that, and you move along. And the decision-making process is quite easy to work with because there's not too many, you know, loops of fire to jump through. But then as you get bigger, it becomes more difficult to turn and to move and to do all yeah. of those types of things. So how was that for you from 2019 compared to the previous years to, in terms of what you've heard and what you've seen as, as an engineer and as a professional in this in this game? Yeah, so we think with, with most companies when they start off small it's kind of you're much more agile and you know everyone in the team and it's quite like a nice relationship because you know everyone and yeah Matt I did like honestly a, a amazing job like without him like this company would would not at all be be this uh, he is just like really good at attracting investors and yeah like selling in a way and very charismatic and I mean he also looks out for the employees and just as an example like i i know there's a few investors that basically especially at the start of the company that um instead asked him to to move the company out of croatia and he basically just said like no uh, it's staying here and i want to like grow everything here and i i really respect that and yeah mm. but coming back to to your question yeah now things are getting a bit more like fat i would say and also with the slowdown in the economy, I think so. I think Rimac was on this like perfect wave of catching all the the money coming in from 2019. I mean, just capital markets flooding the market, so investors just threw a lot of money. And yeah, I think he he we also did okay in terms of that because yeah, you heard of other companies blowing up like um, Arrival and uh, just other companies. They just got a lot of money and they weren't able to produce uh, but now it's at a point where it's like okay we really need to uh cut off the fat let's say and, and become profitable and sell sell products at a say profit <laughs> uh, so yeah it's becoming a bit bit slower and a bit more cautious but i think it's good uh, so the, the the trick is just to kind of keep this balance of of still trying to hold on to the the values that you liked with a small company and trying to keep this like culture uh, while still kind of growing and putting some structures in place because yeah without 
uh, some structures in a larger company, it's it's also just impossible to to run successfully. Yeah, you you need it. It's a double-edged sword. You need it yeah. from a from a backing perspective, but then also in order for you to grow, in order for this thing to become something, you need quick decision making. So it's a, it's a and, and in motoring when you're competing against these giants who are established from the early days, as far as far back as what we can remember. You know, pre World War days. You know, it's 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 yeah. like these guys got systems and 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 um, processes and established everything from an investment perspective. So, for a startup to do as well as what Remats has done now, it's it's it says a lot. You know, I, I wanted to. I'm going to jump around a lot of convers- um, uh, pieces here, but I think just in terms of the conversation and timeline uh, at this particular moment, you've you've gone back to Remax, right? Yeah, that's true. Okay, uh, we're going to talk about the jumps and why and all of mm-hmm. that, and because uh, there's always reasons. But you know, it's always good when when you go back to a company that, that it it says that they liked you from the beginning. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, and, and I also like them enough. So <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so we just want to clarify, just give some understanding as to the timeline. Yeah, so you, you got into this role specifically around uh, dynamics, right? And uh, maybe take us through the particular role that you applied for because i think uh, for for me personally i don't really know what goes into developing a car a cycle or a timeline of developing a car all the processes and systems that are in place for that uh, from an engineering perspective and then you know how how did that work you know like you applied for this role in this team what was that team what what did they do how did it fit into the bigger picture Okay. Um, yeah. So I would say, like, we can roughly say the development of a car is maybe like five to seven years uh, long, uh, from like starting to concept phase to start of production. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like for vehicle dynamics, you're kind of part of this whole process, more involved in certain parts of the say development and other parts. So in the beginning, when when I joined, it was also. Uh, most of the targets were already decided in a way. So targets for vehicle dynamics means like uh, the camber gain, the caster gain, and like general suspension design, like how if you change the packaging in this way or this way, or if you move the steering rack, how will it affect the kinematics? How far are we off target? And then, okay, if we change the weights, say, for example, what kind of springs do we now need to still reach our targets? and also bushings uh, because this is also part of the design and then also a big part of it is also from what i was mostly involved in is like setting up a mathematical model of the vehicle so because the vehicle only comes out say after three years then you get the mule vehicle before that you need all the inputs to the rest of the team so they can design their components so some inputs might be okay like what's the forces on the suspension for during this maneuver when you i don't know go through foxhole in the nurburgring um say maybe that's your load case and then you they need to see that the suspension is um kind of okay to to handle these loads and also the the wheels and tires and the steering rack um all of these kind of work hand in hand so you work closely with the chassis team and then another part also the the thermo aero thermal team so they they sometimes need need like inputs okay like uh, say you have this car with this amount of power and weight and downforce and this is the target lap time then you have to simulate for example like uh, what is the temperature is going to do 
and you give them these inputs uh, so they can run their simulations on their end. So yeah, that's basically in a nutshell what it was most before. And then also maybe doing some sensitivity analysis. So this was also quite interesting sometimes where you have to do some component selection, like, okay, if we um, change a different to a different battery cell, uh, how will that affect our performance? Uh, if we uh, change the arrow in, in this amount, how will that affect the performance? And uh, yeah, and then you kind of incrementally kind of change things uh, to see what's the impact of it. And also maybe the weight is also a really, really big thing uh, because yeah, <laughs> these cars get super heavy. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I think a big, a big point um, to stress here is that this isn't a, uh, a hypercar in the conventional sense with an ice engine this is a hypercar with a complete electric um setup and you know the the stats are, are mind-blowing just as mind-blowing as what the actual performance figures are of the nevera and i think it speaks for itself when you're talking about 1400 kilowatts or 2000 horsepower uh, coming from a car that weighs 2.3 tons 2.3 tons for a performance car is <laughs> a lot <laughs> it's a yeah. lot it's a lot it's a lot uh, you know because i mean with, uh, with anything uh, f- uh in motorsports or car related you know lightness you know does equate to mm-hmm. not necessarily all the time but lightness is a big component of performance yeah, so. that was actually part of uh, like one of the targets for example was like okay zero to to uh, 60 in uh, under uh, uh two seconds and we did so many i had to do so many simulations uh uh where to like prove that okay if we increase the the weight, uh, like because the target for the weight was was lower, and then it kind of kept on increasing, which is common knowledge if you look at the marketing material he released. Um, <laughs> and at some point, it's like, okay, guys, we're really not going to make this target anymore because the weight is just keep on keeps on increasing. Yes. The the at some point we also had problem of extracting all the torque and power from the powertrain. So it was like, okay, can we reduce the torque? I was like, no, not to this weight. Um, so yeah, that was also an interesting uh, part. So that was say a year and a half of uh, my time there, and then from there I I moved uh, to another position. Okay, um, I listened to another interview that you did on a technical site the other day around the various data points that you would go and test and you know understand you know from the bushings to the suspension parts to basically every single possible thing on the car and you mentioned that there were more than a thousand different you know items or or tests that you would need to to understand from a from a simulation point of view how does that actually work you know how do you manage i know you you spoke about choosing the easiest ones but i mean how do you actually do that because there, there's so much dynamic at play and there's so many things that affect other things and the cause and effect and you know of a of a development process and like how did you how do you structure that and how do you 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 manage that whole process I think that's one of the most difficult parts is to to prioritize and understand which ones are uh, yeah most important and and kind of which ones you can assume in a way uh, and which ones are accurate enough to to get to the results you need. Um, yeah, my professor in, in university always mentioned like a lazy engineer is a good engineer, and yeah, that really holds true. Like if you can get the say result what you need or extract the result from what you need uh, with the accuracy you have, then it's good enough to don't strive for perfection because you you just waste time and resources. Um, so yeah, it's a difficult question to answer in a very short space of time. 
but yeah, you kind of focus on the major components and, and then kind of slice it up and break it down into their smaller components. Uh, you define like overall vehicle targets. Um, and then, yeah, you build it around a simplified model. And as you refine things, as uh, the packaging guys uh, give you more information or you find out more about the hard points or suspension points, then you implement this. And then you also have your own target. So you will kind of guide the the other departments into some decisions. And then, yeah, the thing just kind of evolves and it's just improvement after improvement or not necessarily improvement, let's not say it like that, but mm. refinement after refinement um, where in the beginning, maybe you assume some values, uh, which can be the, the tricky part because maybe you don't know the values or you, especially us, because we didn't have a car before. Yeah. Um, so we started from like a blank sheet, let's put it like that. And yeah, a lot of the values you couldn't really um, have. So for example, tire data, if you look at someone like Porsche, uh, who's been doing the cars for 80 years or whatever, uh, plus uh, yeah, more than 80 years, <laughs> yeah. uh, then they have all this data and they, for them, it's almost like, yeah, I'll just take these numbers because they've basically been that and maybe I need to add 10% more because of this new technology and that's good enough uh, where we had to like completely um, just make, not make them up, but make educated guesses. Yeah, I think uh, just two notes, uh, Porsche's history, their early history is a little bit questionable. We won't get into that. Um, yep. But <laughs> their, their relationship with tire manufacturers uh, obviously puts them in a different space that they are able to then work a little bit more closely with them. And we all know that piece of rubber, that contact patch between the asphalt and everything, rim and tire is what ultimately determines success yeah. or failure. That, so, that's what it comes down to. <laughs> that's what it comes down to. And, you know, even when I watched that uh, Nürburgring lap with the uh, Nevera, and again, I watched it now earlier on before we started, and I looked at it, I was like, damn, it is yeah. insane. It is Completely. insane. <laughs> just the speed. It's just nauseating to watch that because, you know, we get some EVs to test and I've got a, a Mercedes EQB 350 outside and the, the comparison is just chalk and cheese. But still, in like in its own right, you know, these things accelerate so quickly. But yeah. then that is just double, double, double. And it's just like exponentially more intense, the acceleration, except, and I don't even, I wouldn't even want to know, like, uh, have you ever driven in it? Have you driven it? Well, like, like, have you tasted the product? Uh, yes. Yeah. I was fortunate enough to drive it a few laps on the test track. And? Yeah, it's... I mean, I okay, to, to my defense, like, uh, I didn't drive as many sports cars before uh, the Nevera, so I just, like, went <laughs> all the way to the end. And, yeah, it's just unbelievable. The best way for me to describe it is just, like, a, a slingshot that you kind of wait for the slingshot to, like, stop, but it doesn't stop. <laughs> just continues going and going and going and then you see it ah 300 <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i'm i'm still on the fence in terms of how i feel about you know the acceleration and just the fact that that it just happens so aggressively but that would just be something <laughs> i don't know how you do it and i don't know how, everyone that i've watched in terms of reaction videos to that it's just been it's yeah. just i mean from my perspective it's like too quick like yeah i don't you you it's just too quick <laughs> like you, <laughs> you you i mean the the car if on a dry piece of asphalt like a normal good 
road and ps4s mm -hmm. tires so not the cup two r's and yeah. it will spin its wheels up up until 120k kilometers per hour like what why do you need this power and <laughs> but i mean like someone had to do it and I'm, I'm happy some someone did but it's like okay now what now the only the, the only thing that needs to happen is the weight needs to come down and, and then mm. uh, you get say more exciting cars but in terms of power and and torque like you can't there's no point in having more <laughs> <laughs> safe to say that you're part of the creation of a complete monster so let's just um talk about talk, let's go back to the role let's talk about like how how you worked within this company how close were you to Marte in terms of the working relationship because this is this was his brainchild after the the concept one and the the car that would be the equivalent of what Bugatti did in terms of a technological like insane piece of stretching the limits yeah uh, so back when the, the company was still that that small uh and i was say at the forefront with the simulations and stuff so he usually always um looked at the the reports and the data i was presenting but because before say my output uh, or our team's output uh was often like the only taste of of the actual car he could get like ah okay this is lap time. This is what the car will be like when you drive. This is how long it will be before things overheat and the, the mileage and all these things. So it was like something tangible for him to, to relate to before he actually saw a car. So um, during those first few years, he, he often like um, requested some some things uh, like data and, and questions like, man, I'm, I'm always blown away by how much he actually knows about the car and, and things. He's like, ah, have you tried this? Why aren't we doing this? And uh, like, it's completely crazy for me, like sometimes when, yeah, like he, he knows something technical about the car while still doing all this investment stuff. And mm. it's not all show. Uh, it, like from the outside, I can imagine it looks kind of like that because yeah. Uh, who, yeah, it's just something you would say to kind of sell, but he, he really pays a lot of attention. And I, I'm not sure how much now, I, I can't comment on that. Uh, can't say if it's the same or less, but uh, back then it was, he was really knew a lot and, and and kind of questioned you like okay but what about this what about this so it was quite interesting and, and also yeah a bit um i would say threatening not threatening like um yeah scary i would say in the beginning it's like ah, i'm just here for like six months or whatever and now the ceo this guy i, I looked on youtube and i was like admiring him and and uh mm. Yeah, blown away by him, and then now all of a sudden, like he's coming for me for for all of these inputs. So it was interesting, and yeah, I'm I'm assuming that he's quite a passionate guy. He still you know loves cars, you know, and it's and if you go back to those original YouTube videos of those dices with that E30 and yeah. how insanely quick it was, and you know how he'd smoke the competition and just take them for walks, you know, it, it and and he built those cars, you know, so he's got a, like a you know the, the full the full sort of act you know in terms of understanding everything that happens and you know understanding you know all the platforms that exist and what needs to be there he's he's thinking and he's i suppose he's just the type of person that he is is, is larger than life so i think i can like, i can understand that it must be quite daunting to work underneath that <laughs> yeah but for sure absolute car guy if you look at his car collection uh you'll understand why it's like a amg sr um and then, yeah, also, I think an E30 uh, M3, uh, like, but it's some limit. I, I think it's I, the... Ice engine, though. 
Yes, in all of them. Okay. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, Carrera GT. Yeah. Oh, yes. Amazing, amazing set of cars. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, look, I don't know. With with the whole EV movement, I think that you you get this like massively polarized environment where you have guys totally for it and you have the guys that are totally against it. And I, I don't know where you fit. Are you totally for it or or you you kind of? I'm definitely like, well, like somewhere in the middle for sure. Somewhere Maybe a middle. bit more to to ICE, um, <laughs> but like I mean, each car has its place. Like if you want to drive around the city. Well, why do you need a combustion engine? You're just polluting the whole world. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's also arguments for like in, uh, electric vehicles polluting and and everything. So I am not going to go into that. But yeah, yeah. I mean, in the end, like I like sound. Electric vehicles can't produce sound. Um, yeah. I like acceleration, but that's like a kind of a one-trick pony type thing. Yeah. Um, so. If you ask me from a driver's perspective, I like mechanical gears, putting them in place and hearing that <laughs> click and like unsettling the car if I'm messing up the clutch in some way or something. Uh, yeah. And no like assistance and these kind of things. Uh, it sounds a bit like a cliche, but that's kind of what 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 I love. And yeah, yeah that's yeah. unfortunately not as possible with electric vehicles, but it doesn't mean it's um, it doesn't have its place. Hundred percent. I think I'm on the same page in terms of just understanding how you use electric vehicles for mobility within the the urban confines, uh, and then how you enjoy your your guilty pleasures, which are the ice engines, you know, on the yeah. weekend or go for your fun drives and those type of things. So each one has its place in my in my own opinion. Uh, I'm not against anything. I think that everyone everyone needs to to have their choices, um, yeah. and I respect it. But I think like in terms of like your choice of weekend vehicle, there's probably like a separate hour that we need to dedicate to that uh, Miata. Because uh, <laughs> that's kind of like the litmus test of the true petrol guy. And, like, have you owned uh, <laughs> a Mazda Miata? I, I haven't personally because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm slightly too tall for that car. Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. How long yes. are you? How tall are you? Six foot, six foot three. So oh, man, I don't know foot. I'm not from the UK. <laughs> Oh, no, 194, 194 centimeters. Oh, yeah, hell, you won't fit, sir. <laughs> no, 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 I won't. I won't, I won't definitely. Well, I mean, you can, <laughs> you can enjoy it for, for, for like 30 minutes, but after that, no, <laughs> it's not going yeah, to be that I pleasant. I struggle to, I mean, I just get into an SD1000 and that's like my limit. And then and then I drove the, the Toyota GR86, the, the new one the other day. I could get into that quite easy. So that's that's my thing, I guess. Uh, yeah. Even the new Mazda, I'm, I'm I'm struggling a little bit, but okay, that's a different different topic. So let's talk about your your move to Mantai because that was a big shift. How did that come about? Because your project with Remats obviously came to an end. You then, however, you left, you left, and you went over to Mantai. What what happened there? Uh, yeah, so I mean, I I moved teams from vehicle dynamics to vehicle testing. So vehicle testing, just in short, is basically just preparing the vehicle for test, testing the vehicle, whether it be for like performance tests, homologation or durability or what kind of test you, you want to have. And a lot of it was just like fixing the car. <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah, as start of production kind of approached, um, it was just more and more week working on weekends. And um, yeah, in the end, like I really enjoyed it and I learned a lot, but at some point, like I just looked at the, 
the future, say six, six months to a year. And I felt that, okay, like I'm not enjoying it as much. I'm not learning as much. I'm not getting paid enough to do all of this. And mm -hmm. I don't have enough, um, say free time. I always wanted to try something like different. Um, I always wanted to try motorsport, so let's give it a go. Um, so I would say like maybe a mini burnout of pushing myself self too much and just not enjoying the, the project anymore, looking back at it now. And yeah, on on another side, like I, I think I only applied for a few few companies, like or maybe like two, I can't even remember. And yeah, so it wasn't like, ah, I'm just going to apply everyone because I want to escape. That was not the case. It was just like, ah, okay, Monty Racing, Nürburgring. This sounds like the perfect, um, say, thing for me. It's still automotive, but it's motorsport at the Nürburgring. Beautiful. Let's go. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of what, what brought me there. Okay. And then the role that you occupied was, by definition, a performance engineer. I think that's in application. It would mean different things in different different industries, but yeah. specifically with Manti. So Manti Racing uh, arguably is one of the most famous racing teams and linked to the Porsche history is right up there at the top. So it's a big thing for you to put that on your CV. As a performance engineer, what sort of roles did you have and what were you involved in? Yeah, so my role there was uh, primarily focused on, uh, say, extracting maximum performance out of the, the kit that they developed for the road car. So, yeah, I was kind of employed somewhere in between the middle uh, of the, the motorsport department and then the, the road car development department. So, as you know, probably, or some of your listeners might know, is Monti develops a like, kit, a track kit that's like a now a genuine Porsche-approved option where you can pay 80,000 euros or something and you, you get a new set of dampers, uh, some aero bits and a setup, aero discs, and yeah we basically developed this this kit to get to those final 10 percent or a few seconds especially on on the Nürburgring. yeah okay uh so we're gonna talk about the kit because i want to dive into that but i want to talk about the systems and the processes in place because coming from a first world situation and the professionalism i think that's something that i always like to talk about in Europe versus anywhere else in the world that they operate on a different level. And I don't think your exposure to South African motorsport is different. Have you had any exposure to SA motorsport before that? Uh, no, not really. I walked into the pits a few times to, to strike up a conversation with a few people, but never, never really integrated. Okay. So it's, it's interesting because, you know, I, th I think that, you know, I always go back and I say, okay, fine. You need to put yourself in those difficult situations and then you've done it now. And if you're going to be a small fish uh, or a big fish in a small pond, um, that mentality is only going to get you so far. By operating where you are at the moment is on that world-class level. It is the most intense, the most everything because of the best of the best of the best, best compete there. From drivers to mechanics to engineers to physiotherapists to psychologists to everyone. Everyone's there doing a specific job to extract the best part of a race day whatever it might be what did you learn at manti uh, yeah i mean like yeah I, i would just maybe start off by saying i did never really saw it as small fish big pond and i just always saw it as like okay this is say probably the best people and i want to learn from the best people and be around them uh, you are, you're only as good as kind of the people around you and mm. to learn from them man 
So yeah, like because I moved more from an automotive, um, say industry or area, more to a motorsport area and industry, say the biggest noticeable difference is just like doing things quickly <laughs> and getting through things quickly and efficiency is like a big, big part of it. So data processing and these kind of things, like for example, in the automotive industry, you wouldn't necessarily do the same action so many times. In, in motorsport or where I was at Mantai, you just drive on the Nürburgring and you just extract the performance around that track because that track is like everything all in one. Um, so you really optimize your tools and everything just for that track. Like often you look at just one corner where in say where I was here, you develop like everything. It's very broad, mm. um, but you also have more time in a way. So there it's a lot of like pressure, I would say to quickly extract as much as possible, but also, I mean, you're, it's much more competitive. No, everyone is doing basically the same as you. Everyone's using the same track with an automotive vehicle. You can sell a bad car, but have good marketing and, and still sell a car better than the competitor in a way. No one really knows. There's not really a, I mean, there is some way of measuring, uh, in, in subjective ways, but it's, it's not really as out there for everyone to see. So yeah, I would say that 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 thing was like a big part and like preparation and also tire management. <laughs> I mean, you you know tires are important and, yeah. and everything, uh, but there was a bit of another like step. So everything was just like that. That was for me. It was the perfect kind of combination of of motorsports and automotive, where it's like okay, let's take what we can grab from from these guys and put it in like how they tried. I mean, just simple things like um, establishing the the pressures to make sure you have the uh, perfect pressure at your when you have like running temperature so it stabilizes at this specific pressure and yeah you have like some easy formula or not easy formula but you have a formula to calculate that based on track temp ambient temperature and just something like that is just having this tool so for example if we go testing maybe most automotive companies they're like oh, let's go this should be close enough point point one bar is close enough no there it's not point point one bar you sometimes have like pressure offsets left to right of 0 0.03 bar and that's what you need to to extract the performance and extract the lap time and make the the driver comfortable that is insane i mean obviously given given the nurburgring and the complexity of 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 so many factors that are involved from the track surface perspective to ambient temperature to whether or not there was a track day before uh, where there's rubber on different sections, whether or not it's rain or not, and it rains all the time there. So they always say, like, I think when manufacturers go and do lap times at the Nürburgring, it's 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 such a, a difficult thing to really get your head around because there are so many different factors and that if you're going to go there at the perfect time on the perfect day to get it, then great. But like we know that nothing's ever or it's never a line <laughs> yeah i mean it's crazy how many how many times manufacturers go there and just attempt the lap record I, i'm not sure if you're say clued up but being there and realizing like how many times one manufacturer with one car would just continuously go and go and go and it's like 40 grand a pop for a, a like forty thousand euros sorry yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> um no, for no, no, an no, exclusive no. session uh just to kind of get that bragging rights essentially um, and marketing uh, so it's a really interesting environment and that was that was also really cool so that, i would say that's also a big part like i learned is just like this environment around the nurburgring is man it's so unique it's absolutely crazy 
just like the cars you see, the people that go there. It's super, super crazy. With Mansai, and I think also I want to tie in your previous testing with drivers, because I think it's a very interesting thing for drivers. And I know that I know absolutely nothing about car setup. And even now, I know even less from what you've just spoken about tire setup from what Manta has taught you but how is the feedback loop and how have you found the feedback loop working with specific test drivers and what are the good points and what are the bad points and what can you advise a driver in terms of giving you decent feedback yeah so i was in the fortunate position as like performance engineer to be like basically directly speaking to the driver um after each each run so maybe some tips for, for, for the driver, I guess, if you want to put it like that, is just to be specific and, <laughs> I mean, not saying something is, is better than saying something, uh, just to say something and try to be, yeah, as, as specific as possible. For me, it's important to, to know, okay, like, is it corner entry, corner exit? And I think it's a general trend amongst drivers. I'm not, say, referring to the drivers I had at all. I'm just mm. saying it like a common trend, I think, from drivers is uh, maybe that they they feel like they know a lot and, and the engineer might not know everything. It's okay to say maybe you don't know and you're not sure about this. Of course, like the engineer needs something to work with, but but if you give him the wrong inputs, it's not going to help. And yeah, if... It's like a very interesting relationship. I really enjoyed this part and it's actually something I, I would like to explore a bit more in the future mm. is this relationship between the, the driver and the engineer because it's like a language. It's sure, maybe both of you speak English, but mm. it's it's not necessarily so straightforward. You have to like build up like this relationship to really understand. I remember one time I, the driver, so he, he was German and um, yeah, it was also a bit difficult to, to speak to each other um, because I was English and he's German, mostly giving all his feedback in German. Um, so when he told me something, I was like, ah, okay. Like he seemed like he had a moment, like he said, he, he lost it a bit on, on one of the corners. And then I, I go back and I look at the video recording and I'm like, shit, dude, like you almost binned it. <laughs> and it's like full code brown, but from the <laughs> feedback, it was just like, ah, oh, yeah, like it just had small moment. And then it's when I realized like, okay, <laughs> when, when he, when he says he like had a moment, it's a big moment. <laughs> um, if he just like plays like loses the rear of it he's probably not even gonna gonna mention it uh, so if he mentions it go go look it's something serious <laughs> so yeah and like some other drivers may might might make a big scene or, or not a big scene but they would really like draw your attention to something like that okay all right uh, that's that's interesting i think it's it's very it's very interesting you talk about the the language the translation um aspect of it and i don't think any any race car driver wants to portray themselves as being unable to drive a car on its absolute limit so to be able to extract that truth as a as an engineer I, I can imagine it to be quite a big task yeah and maybe sorry just to get back like one of the most important things is just like if i'm an engineer i would ask what do you need to go quicker like don't tell me like okay this and this like what do you need to go quicker if you need the car to understeer more on corner entry i can give it to you um mm -hmm. what what do you feel is making you the slowest and let's let's work on that and work on the priorities that's maybe also something useful <laughs> all right and all of this feedback was worked into building the kit for the 718 and then also for for the for the 911 so how did that you know like your job, you, you, you were working between motorsport and road. You were then advised on this kit. 
that would then be built into a road car. And obviously, you can't have a full motorsport aspect. I know there's a lot of crazy things that you probably built in in terms of the suspension. And you mentioned um, the uh, turbo fans or the aero discs. What was that like? Like, how did you balance that whole thing? Uh, yeah, just to like, you, we have to develop the kit in like steps. So the first step is with with just a just setup. So finding the say say perfect setup without any kit. So ride heights, cambers, and toe. Um, so that's the the first step. And uh, tires. Uh, yeah, and tires. But I mean, the the drivers in the end do what they want with with it. Uh, uh, like yeah. the customers, not the drivers. The customers. customers. Okay. Yeah. No. 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 Okay. Um, and then the second stage is is just uh, the suspension setup. So all the damper clickings, uh, spring stiffnesses, um, anti rollbar settings, and and then you you layer on top the the aero kit. So I mean, every car is in a way different. So for example, the seven one eight, it also has McPherson strut suspension, so it handled a bit differently compared to the nine nine two nine eleven. Yeah. Um, so it's like also working around this part, like understanding, okay, the suspension setup might have worked on the 992, but now we might need to try, say, this suspension setup, which is kind of different than than the philosophy we followed with the 992, mm-hmm. um, which is quite interesting. Like I wasn't there for a very long time to see if there's like a, a general trend, but um, in all the cars, but it, it's not always so simple. Uh, in the end, like vehicle dynamics and like is is complicated <laughs> and yeah. even though like sometimes you just need to test to to find out which one works unfortunately yeah you if the smarter you get the less you have to test i think uh but like there's often like things you you maybe don't include initially and testing it and that's why it's so important to have a test plan to run through uh, all the different setups and then use that uh, as as feedback loop to kind of now uh, drive your your decision I, I th- I've got a lot of respect for that because um, I think to find a balance between setup changes and progression, because obviously we're striving for progression. Well, you're striving for progression, you know, as the engineer, as the performance engineer. But then the cause and effect of a setup change could give you that progression, or it could actually put you back. So yeah. <laughs> it's actually you know understanding it, and that, that's where I say I've got a lot of respect for that because you know even if I looked at the lap time between the stock gt4 and then the manti racing gt4 what is the lap time difference was like 10 seconds which is a lot like Mm. a second is a lot even on a big track like that the the gains are so marginal it's quite a bit uh to have 10 seconds is quite a bit yeah and it's so one part of it is setting up the car but another big part is just like trying to like you really take that and just ring it for every last second like making sure you do the tire pressures better than your uh, opponent that or whoever did prepare the car the previous time uh, will maybe give you that time i mean you can have our kit on a on a car with the say tire pressures 10 percent too high and the kit car would the Monte car will be slower just because it had the, the wrong pressure. So it, it's really like the, the full package, and I think that's also what makes Monte uh, so good is they are there and they've been doing it for so long and they know they're like Nurburgring specialists. Mm. Um, so yeah, yeah, even if you maybe develop a car that's able to go faster around another racetrack, um, getting it faster around the Nurburgring it's a different story. <laughs> It's a completely different story. No, no, it's, it's it's a very special, special place. I I haven't been there. I'd love to go there one day. 
Yeah, drive something. <laughs> I need to go back as well. <laughs> that was the saddest <laughs> part for me leaving. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I saw. I saw when when you left. You mentioned that the time was, was shorter than you hoped for. Yeah. But you never know. You never know how life works. You know, you could find yourself back or you know somewhere else. Yeah, or... I, I definitely. I know I'm gonna go back to visit the track at least. But yeah. working, I'm not not so sure. And <laughs> <laughs> um, and then and then since then, I want to talk about your time since you left before you started. Again at Remats, you um, you took some time off, or did you did you go? I know that you did the Formula Student, right? That entire program. What 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 is the timeline like? Because I'm, I'm I've got. Uh, no, I I mean, like I think a, a month after leaving Mantai in Germany, um, I I moved back to Croatia here in Zagreb to work uh, continue working at at Remats. So now I'm on the the tech side. Hmm. I'm working within the control systems department. Uh, oh, and then, sorry, the, you mentioned also formula student. So yes. uh, that was not like a a project or anything. I, I was just a judge. Uh, so they yeah. have like a usual formula student. Uh, for all your young like listeners, really go check out formula student. It's really yep. awesome. And if you have the opportunity to to compete or join a team, do it. So it's yep. usually like three days where I I was the design uh, judge. So looking at all the teams from all over Europe and just like looking at their uh, design. So I was design, uh, judging the vehicle dynamics and suspension and mm-hmm. then basically, yeah, giving some points and, and then feedback um, to them to improve. But it's really so, a cool initiative. I'll post a link to what Formula Student's all about. But in a nutshell, what, what is Formula Student to those that have absolutely no clue? Uh, it's basically universities building small formula car, which is an open open wheel car. It can be electric uh, or internal combustion, but that's kind of dying out. Or and also f- and or fully autonomous vehicle. So sometimes some teams are like 15, 15 guys. Other teams are like hundred people uh, students. And yeah, pe- students can be like first year students or master's degree students. And yeah, they build these cars according to some specific rules and regulations, and then they they compete against each other with like different um, uh, categories, like endurance event, uh, autocross, like just going quickly through a, some cone mm-hmm. racetrack, and then they they get judged and and get some points from from all of that. And there's a few competitions happening all over Europe, some bigger, some smaller. I am not sure on the amount, but let's say there's about ten. I know there's some American teams. And there's Indian teams. There's, uh, yeah, teams throughout uh, Europe. So if I would ever go back to South Africa and become a lecturer or something, that would be the first thing I would try <laughs> to push in. I don't know where I'll get the money, but I'll I'll make it happen. <laughs> yeah, and I, th- I think I think what what makes it very unique is that they take a, a model of what a Formula One team operates on, not just yes. from a, a technical perspective, but from a team organizational perspective and from a financial um, perspective and that you actually need to build a budget you need to manage the team and you need to control all of those things in this micro condensed version of what a bigger formula yeah. one team is so exactly. there's so many skills that you know people learn along the way and i know that it's heavily um supported and there's a lot of guys in the formula one paddock that have come through the formula student program from engineers to managers to to everyone and yeah it's you know, a, like if you're hiring someone and you see formula student on them you're already like, like this guy is one point up and then you start questioning them to make sure he wasn't just in the team to get it on his CV and, and it, <laughs> because you get some of them too. Um, but yeah, it's a very, very good, 
good and say powerful thing to to have on your CV and also prove that you've uh, contributed in a team like that because it yeah you it's it's really demanding and and you really like combine many skills because in university sometimes you can be book smart but it's not necessarily practical and that's where he, where formula student really uh, forces you to use all of these skills 100% and you're a judge there so i think that looks the best on your cv just saying um, but I mean, like I say, they've got big names and I know Ross Braun, uh, and Patty Lone and James Allison is involved with them. So, it, and, you know, other names before in the past have also been involved. So, you know, these are big guys that are ambassadors of this. So mm-hmm. who, whatever happens there, the eyes are on, on there and, you know, they yeah. are, they are recruiting and they know what's going to come through and they're going to get the best of the best, you know? Yeah. It's amazing to see how the industry is involved. And that's unfortunately what's, what's missing in South Africa because you can't do all of these things without the industry. So the companies are throwing in a lot of money in this because they can like utilize this money. It's money well spent. (laughs) Yeah. Um, The last point that I wanted to talk about was just around a different kind of simulation. And that's your sim racing life. I don't know how much time you've got for sim racing these days. Not um, enough, unfortunately. <laughs> there was a period <laughs> where I where I competed a bit more, um, but but not now. Uh, the girlfriend is taking up um, more of my time, so I'm, I'm I'm enjoying a bit more there. But I still get around to it uh, as as much as I can. Okay, and how much? You're involved with testing and theory and application of theory, and you've got this feedback loop, this crazy loop of translating everything from drivers. But with sim racing and the advancement of sim racing is becoming more real. You know, the setup in sim racing is just as real as the real thing. How much have you learned? How much has that helped you learn or you know advance your passion in and your your, your advancement in? car setup and, and engineering of of yeah. both road cars and then obviously race cars yeah i think some in some racing you can really learn a lot like yeah incredible amount it's actually crazy uh, mm-hmm. i did not use it as much as i would have liked um, honestly for me it was more about scratching this itch of competing against each other and doing yeah. all the things I can't really do at work. So racing very closely with someone, uh, that, that was kind of my goal. And, and unfortunately, sometimes crashing and, and, and having fun in, in this way. Um, so I, I yeah, of course, like I use my knowledge um, that I built up through vehicle dynamics to maybe make some adjustments in the car. But mm. I, I found myself just wanting to kind of enjoy and race like mm. Uh, so often, like I, I didn't want to like enter championships where um, I know you can change the setup because I know I, I will play around and, and fiddle to make sure I'm extracting everything. I just want to like do all the things I, I can't do in, in say in work. So for me, it was like extra- improving my driving technique and and learning tracks and then just really racing closely with each other and getting this adrenaline rush because yeah, unfortunately, as you know, um, much sport is a bit expensive. So uh, mm. my sim, my sim rig is, is almost as expensive as some race cars, um, <laughs> but I, I can race all around the world and yeah, it's, it's been good fun. Uh, Did you I get actually any- competed like uh, I competed in two 24 hour Nürburgring races. And then, oh really? Yeah, my and my girlfriend and mom would laugh at me, <laughs> like, <laughs> "What? You're playing for 24 hours?" <laughs> yeah. How did you do? Um, 
not great, not terrible. Um, the the first one went kind of okay. Uh, I, I I did I myself was super satisfied. I, I managed to do really good good pace, and I only I think I brushed the barrier one, so I was super happy with my six okay. hours of of driving. Uh, but in general, like we we were just surviving, and it's not necessarily about uh, the winning or something. There's kids there that probably drive like eight hours a day, so in the end, yeah, I, I can never really match up to not never, but I. It's difficult yeah. to match up to them. It was more about like having fun as a team. I mean, man, you set the alarm at three in the morning, you wake up, you're like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? <laughs> Drink your coffee alone in your house, walk to your assembly, <laughs> put on my VR goggles, and there you go. <laughs> That's motorsport in a nutshell, my friend. Um, yeah. <laughs> you always question the madness behind what you were doing. Did you get any did you get any driver advice from the guys from Mantai? Um, yeah, I mean, like not directly because i didn't drive and they gave me advice on my driving uh, yeah. it's more about say learning how how they drive um and and trying to i mean look staring at the data so i i didn't have the say uh opportunity to overlay my data trace over theirs but i think <laughs> i will just look at it and be like yeah i can't even compare this because it's really bad <laughs> but uh in general like uh, just seeing how they drive the car i just being in the passenger seat with really skilled drivers i think you can you can learn quite a lot um about yeah like smoothness braking inputs um steering inputs just just in general how they they handle the car how they position the car and also like some 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 of the lines they took because yeah for example um seeing how my development driver looking at his lines and then looking at the lines I used to take, uh, it's like, oh, but here I'm doing something wrong. And it was also interesting because in, in the sim, so I did so many laps on the Nürburgring before, mm -hmm. um, you you sometimes realize the car gets unsettled here, but you don't really know why. Mm -hmm. um, but then you're on the track there and you feel, ah, okay, that's why. That's why I'm losing the rear here because he's a big bump. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it was also quite interesting, but yeah. But I, th I think those are all moments and um, I think returning to the source or, or getting to the product, testing the product just makes you more, I think it adds extra layer to your skill set yeah. from a technical point of view, as opposed to just being an engineer and just watching. So for yeah. you to be involved at that level really does set you one level higher, actually a few levels higher. Uh, what is the most exciting lap? I mean, you said you've, you've been around the track with um, a driver. Who did you go around with? Uh, so the development driver for Mantai was Christoph Breuer, um, mm -hmm. and yeah, like a GT2 RS, uh, the the lap record holder for like a few years, I would say, um, but until Project One came and, and smashed it, um, mm -hmm. that that was like quite quite special and and scary at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, yeah I'm, I'm sure we can talk about that for days i've spoken to one or two other people that have been around the track with really quick cars and it's just a different experience to experience that actually to be around any racetrack with a out and out professional driver is just yeah. something that just especially especially if you don't know the track so well and you don't know how much it can be pushed that's also <laughs> something like i think if you if you yourself drive on a track and you really push the limits and then you jump in the car with someone, then you'll be like, oh, okay. Like I can see he's making a mistake, doing better here, doing better here. He's carrying so much more speed. But man, yeah, like yeah. I was there on the track, like before I did a lap personally, um, mm -hmm. I jumped in the in the car with him and yeah, it was just like a roller coaster on, on cocaine or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a perfect way to put it. Okay. 
Yeah. Cool. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna end off with three three rapid questions here quickly, and you yeah. just need to say the first thing that comes to mind. Do I have a timer? No, you don't. There's no okay. timer. It's just it's just the first thing that comes to mind. Don't think too hard about it. If you could go back in time and be involved with the development or design of any car, race car, road car, whatever, throughout history from the start, what would it be? Ooh. I guess McLaren F1 would be pretty awesome. <laughs> Damn. Okay. That's a good answer. You took a long time to respond, but I, I respect that. Yeah, as, as an engineer, you knew I'm going to like start turning <laughs> gears in my head. That blue nature is just like, like it's just, uh, you know, I should have actually given you like a three second. Yeah, anyway. That's why I asked right. if there's a timer. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. Um, ultimate dream job. Ultimate dream job. Uh, okay. <sighs> that free money. <laughs> no, 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 no. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. Uh, okay. I, I think if you're like Chris Harris, that's that's a pretty cool job. That's basically right up there. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't know what what to call his job. Honestly, it's journalism, but. Eh. At this well, stage in life, I don't know if it's still chief bullshit it? talker, chief bullshit talker, and he can drive a car. So yeah, maybe but I'm he gets to drive amazing cars. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm maybe I'm fifteen percent of the way there. <laughs> Last question is best piece of advice to anyone listening to this who wants to pursue a a life in engineering abroad. Uh, grit, just keep on pushing and exploring. And you'll get there. You'll find a way. And if you don't find a way, that's probably completely fine. It doesn't mean you fail. Just accept that and do whatever you then do. I mean, it's the same kind of thing. I I also felt like, okay, why am I not in Formula One? Like at some point, that's all I wanted to do. But now I can be in Formula One if I want to. But that's not aligned with my my value so if you really like cars you really love engineering and you keep on doing it and at some point you're just like eh, maybe i like farming then do farming man enjoy it <laughs> <laughs> you'll, you'll apply some engineering on your farm well it worked for jeremy clarkson and uh, and, and harry metcalf so yeah, and you, exactly and you could you could make the money from farming to buy the cars that you really dream yeah, of man, like that, the F1 that, that, that's F1. why i was gonna say like the dream job i was like okay which job is just gonna give me all the money to do all the things i want to do <laughs> <laughs> got you i got you okay perfect answers i really 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 enjoyed it um and i'm sorry that we didn't talk about your mx5 but i am going to put a pin in that and say the next time we talk, I want to dive more into the MX-5, and that could be a dedicated one hour and pay respect to the JDM Grandmaster. Yeah, I'll have to get <laughs> but, another one for that then. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much, Gerard. I really enjoyed it, um, and and I appreciated your time and and sharing your story. And yeah, I can't, I can't wait to share this. Yeah, pleasure is all mine, and I, I think what you're doing is, is good, so I hope I can help some some people reach. There we go. Inspire some people. It would be really cool. Thank Thanks, you. I'm sure you will. Thank you. See you and good yeah. luck with the racing. I, I see you're, yeah. you're hitting the track quite a, quite a lot.